Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I'm joined by two guests, Laura Crossley, Head of Content, and John Sutton, Exhibitions Manager at the National Football Museum. We discuss why it's helpful for museums to have podcasts and what you need to think about strategically if you're going to create one. We also talk about their new podcast, Strip, and all of the lessons learned from creating it. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. John, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today look at us as well we've dressed for the occasion in our we'll have to do a little stand up we've all got our strip on our favorite strip and all will become clear a little bit later why we are dressed as our favorite football teams today okay as ever we start with our lightning round john i'm coming to you first what is the greatest movie that you have ever watched I don't know. Karate Kid's very really good. Karate Kid's a good film. With Karate Kid, are, are you like a massive eighties fan? Is this is this yeah, like your thing? That's one of the films that left a great impression on me. So and watching watching Cobra Kai on at the moment, which is the follow on. Can we talk amazing. about Cobra Kai? Because <laughs> I am. We were obsessed. I wasn't feeling very well, yeah. and I tucked myself up on the sofa with a duvet and Karate Kid. I was like, everyone keeps talking about Cobra Kai. Let's, we should do it. We're, let's start it tonight. Oh, my God. Ge- <laughs> genuinely did the whole two series in, like, less than a week. We just smashed yeah, it. Yeah, I'm stopping it. I'm just calming it down because I don't, I don't want it to end. I'm not, I, I think I've got to be giddy, and then I'm just calming it now because I, I want to – series three is coming very soon, so I want to make it that, you know, I'm there for it. But, so you um, haven't seen the last episode yet? Oh. I've not seen that. I'm not seen the second. I've only just joined the party. I don't know. Like it's a, it's feel good, isn't it? That's what I love about eighties films. Yeah. They really feel good. That was a great answer. Okay, Laura, I'm coming to you. What fictional family would you be a member of if you could be? The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> that's really obvious, isn't it? But it, partly because, like, my family were absolutely obsessed with The Simpsons. And, like, even now, I find myself saying catchphrases. I'll say, like, I have a feeling that we are going to win the lottery. Or, like, <laughs> or like when I'm a vegetarian and I always quote things from Lisa the Vegetarian and I think other people know what I'm talking about, but I'm like, oh, no. No, it's just me and my family who know that. It was on the first day where you said Calabunga Day. <laughs> I skated in, <laughs> in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> When I was younger, particularly, I would get a lot of grief about basically being Lisa. Like when I was younger, I was very, very right on. I was, I was vegetarian. In the episode where she becomes vegetarian, she can like see bits of animals. That was exactly like me. Can you play the saxophone though? Can't play the saxophone, but I could play the flute. I was in an orchestra. I could play the flute. Oh, that's close enough. Piano. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and like in my peak teenage years I did I did go out but I also like spent early Friday evenings in Salford Youth Orchestra because I was really cool (laughs) (laughs) you really are Lisa (laughs) you've already joined the family you don't even need you're there (laughs) oh I love it okay all right we're gonna go to your unpopular opinions John I'm gonna come to you what's the thing that you think's true but nobody else agrees with you on uh I think it's humanity's worst invention. Umbrellas should be banned, really. You know, hate them. <laughs> They're a weapon, pretty much. And 
particularly as people are more and more on their phones these days while they're walking down the street, if they're carrying the umbrella, you'd lose an eye. Do you not think that this is an issue with people looking at their phones rather than the umbrella, though? No, I think no. it was even before. I thought everybody hated them. I thought they were, apart from Rihanna, I thought everybody kind of no, hated them. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I've ever hated an umbrella. I, I, I lose a lot of umbrellas. My mum once bought me 11, you know, those little pocket size ones. She bought me 11 of them for Christmas oh, yeah, yeah. one year. And I had a whole stocking full of like one pound bargain umbrellas because I just leave them in places. But <laughs> That's the thing. And you think, well, I, I don't want to spend a lot of money on them because I'm going to lose it. But if you buy a too cheap one, it's going to be yeah. like inside out, flat away thing. So they haven't just haven't evolved. It, <laughs> That's, <the problem. laughs> That's a great answer. So, again, not really what uh, I was expecting, but interesting. <laughs> All right, Laura, what's yours? I mean, mine's going to sound really geeky now, which is... um. I think that often theme parks are better at talking about history than teaching people about history and the environment the museums are. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you remember like when we could go on holiday and things like that? Oh, the good times. We could like go to other countries and it was really nice. Um, I went to Florida last year um, and I'm not like, I didn't really go to like Disney as a kid or anything, but it was really fun last year. Um, and I nearly came back and like wrote a big blog post about what all the things that museums can learn from theme parks because I think we can learn absolutely loads. But one of them definitely is about teach people about history and the, and the environment and science because it just talks about things you don't even realise you're learning. Like you think you're just like on a ride or like having fun or in a queue and or just walking through a different land or watching a film or doing something that's just really fun and then you come out and you're like oh, I've just learned about like this new a co- like a co- I've learned about a new kind of animal that I didn't know about or I've learned about this really interesting thing in history that I didn't know about and I think I don't know it's like obviously we can't see the original objects and that you know is a really good thing about museums but I just think the way that theme parks are quite sneaky about the way that they teach people history maybe it's mainly Disney because it's because that is a big theme across Disney. Yeah, but... yeah. <clears throat> I worked for five years at the Pleasure Beach, Blackpool Pleasure Beach, uh, for five years. And I, I, obviously, I didn't really <laughs> think about it from that point of view. Because <laughs> I was working hours and not getting paid, paid enough. <laughs> I wasn't very good at doing candy floss either. <laughs> Terrible. People used to ask me for a stick of candy floss and I would give it them through gritted teeth. I'd really try and shove a bag onto them because the bag was much easier to make. Oh, I've always fancied a go at that, though. Oh my god, it's really hard. It's so hard. Really? Yeah, particularly in Blackpool, where it's windy oh, all the time. Yeah, uh, it gets in, yeah. The machine's quite dangerous as well because it spins around. But you have to uh, make sure you've got the right amount of moisture on the edge of the. You can't have too much moisture, but you need some moisture for it to stick to the sides. Really, it's really like hard. science. I, I've learned so much today. I, you know, I really have. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I've not even asked you any good questions yet. I've learned loads. <laughs> Museums are a breeze compared to producing candy floss. That's really interesting. I think, Laura, it's about making it fun. Yes, absolutely. And immersive. Yeah, and then you don't really realise that you're learning. So it's kind of, you you suck it in. Yeah, the other thing I really like is that it's really multisensory. So, yeah, like you can hear music or read stuff or and the atmosphere and so you kind of just yeah exactly you don't kind of realize you're learning like it's just it's just really cool whereas in museums I think sometimes we don't talk enough about the story I think sometimes it's just like oh there's another object and there's I as John knows I'm I'm not like the biggest fan of labels in museums I am 
um, maybe that's an opinion that won't go down well with the museum sector, but I do think we put far too much stuff on labels and always want people to read everything. Um, and I think sometimes it's nice to also help people use their imagination and tell a story and not just be like, this is a thing. Yeah. Look at this thing and here are some facts about it. It's just, I don't think it's very engaging. Well, this leads us really nicely, actually, to what we want to talk about today, because um, the reason that we are dressed in our strip is because we want to talk about your new podcast. So it's called Strip the Podcast, but it's in line with the exhibition that you've got running at the moment, which is Strip, How Football Got Shirty. And I guess that kind of goes a little bit hand in hand about what we what you've talking about in terms of telling a story about something. So... Um, Laura, can you just just for our listeners, can you just give us a little overview of what the National Football Museum is? I mean, it says very clearly what it is in its name. (laughs) (laughs) But what do you do there? We do all sorts of things. So we are England's only National Museum for Football. And we basically explore the impact that football has on all our lives and how it shapes identity. Um, And a bit like I was saying about telling stories we are moving much more towards telling stories and sharing other people's stories um, about the diversity of the game so we are not just about sort of talking about the men's elite game although that's obviously a big part of football but we're also about the women's game and also I think a really good thing that we can do is sort of challenge attitudes around homophobia and racism and I I watched that Anton Ferdinand documentary last night and just thought gosh there's still so much work to do in terms of challenging racism in football and so we're trying a lot lot more to sort of tell those difficult stories and um, hopefully change attitudes and make football something that's really welcoming for everyone because it's something that touches all of our lives even if you're not a football fan like it's not something that you can escape yeah (laughs) you might dip in and out of or you'll know people who like football um and so it is about telling those kind of kind of really broad stories um and for me about celebrating diversity and making everybody feel like they have a place in the game and that they're represented in football lovely and john you are i mean the exhibition is is something that you've been organizing so can you tell us a little bit about what this exhibition is about again i mean how football got shirty think we can maybe hazard a guess at that there's no shorts or socks in the exhibition that was the that was the first thing we're not wearing shorts we're not wearing socks <laughs> it's just shirts so yeah it's got uh over 200 shirts going right back to there's a victorian era so it's very comprehensive um we we do the first six shirts uh, first century of football shirts in just six shirts because there wasn't an awful lot of change and then you kind of branch out into sort of 70s era of Admiral and, and the dawn of replica shirts and then um, got some bangers from the 90s lots of the bright colour garish ones got a bit about the retro revival got a really controversial Hall of Shame area which actually the six shirts in the Hall of Shame are all pretty good shirts to be fair generally but um, they're there for a, um, almost like a malfunction of design that, that's why they're like that and then right through to the present so one of the big things now is is uh eco-friendly shirts so you know sustainability and we've also got loads of shirts from the women's game as well because i think we're the first exhibition that have worked out that basically women can play football too <laughs> wow and, and they women wear football shirts yeah there's been football shirt exhibitions in the past or there's almost like kit experts and things like that but i don't think the women's game and and the shirts that women wear has been told yet so it's really comprehensive exhibition the 
one of the toughest things is having to do the top 20 uh, shirts full time. It's so yeah, subjective. I'm a Blackpool fan and I didn't put Blackpool shirt in the top 20. Uh, there's no Tottenham shirt in the top 20 either. I checked. Ooh. No, there is a lot more Arsenal shirts and Tottenham Ooh, shirts dear. as well. Mm-hmm. Check, check. <laughs> the shirt you're wearing is in the exhibition. It's a great shirt. And we've got a Jürgen Klinsmann shirt as well. When, you know, when he did the, yeah. when he did the dive celebration, we've got that in the museum as well. It's not in the exhibition, but it's, it's in perfect the museum, moment. So. Uh, okay, so great exhibition, great museum. You've been shut for most of this year, which has been a challenge all round in the sector. So what I really want to talk about is, is what you've done to engage your audience while you've been shut. And one of the great things you've done is launch podcast. It's a big thing to do. It's a bold move. And that's what I want to talk about today, really. So I guess my first very short question, which has probably got a really long answer, is why a podcast? I'll be honest, I don't really listen to podcasts, so it's quite our presenting one because I, I, I didn't really know much about the uh, you know the basis of, of being a, a host on a podcast. I'll be honest, and I think David realised that very quickly when he's our digital producer. I think David realised that too when we started. <laughs> what <laughs> have I let myself in for? <laughs> yeah, so like we had, a, I mean, I was amazed. Like I am, on the day, luckily Tim, who's our graphics. Uh, an, an interpretation producer basically the three of the three of us in, in our exhibitions team we kind of led we kind of led it I suppose and luckily he, he'd, he'd done a script which was really helpful because <laughs> I was going there without even a script you know so um, Laura why, why did you just make me yeah how do you come to the decision that, that a podcast <laughs> is the thing that you're gonna create to engage people with like how did that how did that process work I think of podcasting because I joined the museum almost a year, just over a year ago. And even when I joined, it was there were talk before we even knew about COVID. There was talk about doing a podcast as a way to kind of reach new audiences and kind of share our stories in a different way. I think because the music, you know, we, we have got our mission is all about sharing stories and a podcast. I think and that narrative is a good way to do that. Um, so we'd always thought about doing a podcast, and then. John's team got some funding and it made sense to make that about the strip exhibition. But certainly when we then shut, for me, like it became more of an imperative. I know that museums decided to do lots of different things during lockdown, but we have on our strategy the aim to build a virtual museum, basically uh, reflect the galleries and the content of the museum, but digitally, whether that be in our kind of social media content on YouTube or via podcasts or whatever it might be. And so I saw this year as a way for us to just experiment because what other year do you get? I mean, obviously it's been a bad year, but the one kind of positive I think is that, that it's kind of allowed people to throw cautions to the wind and just say, well, we'll just experiment with lots of different ways to engage people because why not? And if it doesn't work, then it, you know, it doesn't matter and we learn from it. And I really hope that that's something that museums take into the future. That, like, I think we always try and, like, plan and try and be perfect. Whereas, actually, I think experimentation is much, much more exciting and just seeing what happens and not really worrying too much if things don't work. Because, so what? You've learned lessons and then, you you know, you try again. So, for me, that was the really good thing about a podcast. And also, I did really feel for them. A strip opened in my first week at the museum um, and so it was open for what three months and then shut. Yeah, um, and I could tell when I joined. I mean, John can talk a lot more about it because of his exhibition. But I went to the opening night, and I could. I remember just thinking, "Wow!" Like so much kind of passion and love and care has gone into this exhibition. 
And it was incredibly sad to see it have to close and what well, the whole museum had to close. So um, I think we focused a lot on putting content out about Strip, partly for that, because it was just such a great topic, something that was really engaging, something that we know that if the museum had been open, lots of people would have come to that exhibition and we really wanted to give them the chance to experience it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and we did on the on the day we, uh, before we closed, the last day in March, before we closed, did a frantic kind of, tour around the exhibition and that, that went on the strip we've got our own strip website as well uh, dedicated to the exhibition and in co-curating the exhibition we had so much so many assets you know I'd, I'd spoken to um you know a lot of the kit manufacturers a lot of the kit experts um we'd done a panel discussion been out to some clubs we had so much and then only so much of that can go into the exhibition so we're sitting on all these assets and i think we divided it so some went out onto the strip website but then even then we had so much and I just thought if we theme it right we've definitely got a podcast here and so we've we've managed to use some of those assets in the podcast but also recorded new interviews with people as well for it so luckily I think we've done a decent job on it. You've done six episodes is that right six episodes so far let me just go back a bit because what you said is really interesting Lauren I think I agree with you in in terms of playing with things this year it has been a you know we all know it's been a challenging year, but it has given us that opportunity to do some new things and do some different things that we don't know if they're going to work. We don't know what the reaction's going to be, but let's try it, right? Very much the same with this podcast that we're on. I had no idea what the, you know, we'd, we'd pre-launched it the, the, the previous year, hadn't really got a lot of traction and thought, well, let's bring it back. You know, there's a lot of people that are potentially sitting around maybe not with a lot to do at the moment maybe we can give them something to listen to and so that was the objective really you know what can we push out there that will be helpful and engaging for people right now so did you with the podcast did you actually set any objectives for it or was it purely just going to do this see what happens I think this is what we're we're grappling with a little bit because we were kind of pushed into doing digital before we'd written a big strategy about it. Mm. And I said, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's kind of it's kind of like writing a strategy for research and development, um, which isn't a bad way to do it. For me, um, John might disagree, I don't know, but it's about engaging more people in a kind of deeper way and growing those audiences. And also, hopefully, some of the people we engage will actually physically come to the museum, acknowledging that some people who you know, live in different countries, might not actually physically be able to get to the museum now or in the future. But for those people, kind of making them aware of us and getting a kind of loyalty to us and looking out for our stuff and feeling part of the museum. And then for other people, hopefully encouraging them to actually come through the door um, and become kind of physical visitors. Yeah. And I guess you won't see that until a bit later on potentially what the you know whether you doing you do make that shift from people that are listening to the podcast to come in along um john i i've got so many questions about the podcast because <laughs> i i know myself personally how much time and effort and a challenge mm. it can be so you said earlier you this is your you've never you've never made a podcast before do you have, have you ever been a guest on a podcast do you ever had any interaction with with any of them no, I don't think I have. I don't think, even think I've been a guest. I think I, was, I just assumed they were like a bit like radio, but um, not live. Yeah. You know, was kind of a, I have listened to some podcasts, but not many. And then, yeah, so no no experience, really. All right. So you're at the point where you've, you've got all your assets and you think, yeah, we've got a podcast here. We can we can create some content. This is and it's valuable content. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, 
where did you start? Because that's a big learning process, right? To saying, I've got this idea about a podcast. I've got all this stuff. Mm. Now I need to make a podcast. You know, what did you have to learn? Well, luckily, I learned that David's very good at editing. We did, the first episode was a bit, looking back now, if I listen to it now, I think it would be quite rustic and a little bit raw. Um one thing I did before before we did the podcast, I listened to some of the podcasts about football shirts. They were all pretty good, generally. I thought I think they were good, but at the same time, I thought they might be slightly better at presenting than 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 we would be. So there may be more confidence in front of a microphone, etc. But at the same time, I thought they might not necessarily have the assets we've got, and also the knowledge that we've acquired in in you know curating the exhibition. So that was a bit of me that thought well what's the worst that can happen with this with this thing? And if, it, if we are terrible, at least we've got the guest to pull us out. The first one we did wasn't the best, but then the next one we did was really good. And then what we did was we went back to the first one and, and re-recorded it. But we did that with most of most of them. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't really a quick process. Sometimes we'd start in the morning, we'd rattle through in, say, an hour, we'd get lunch, and then we'd go, actually, I think we could do that better now. So a lot, most of them we did it in two takes. There was a period where we recorded, I think, probably three or four within a two-week period because we were going into the museum, say, once a week when we could, and, and we found that we found a rhythm to it. And then there was one episode, the, the, the last episode in the podcast, which I think is actually the, somehow the best one. There have been about three, four weeks before between the recording the fifth and the sixth. And that day, we had Linda working on it. She was fantastic. We had Tim working on it. He was fantastic. Whatever reason... I think I might have had a couple of too many drinks tonight before or something, but I was absolutely appalling. You know, it's just, it's just nothing was flowing that day. It was awful, but listening to it, you can't tell. So Davey's a magician. So good, so good. Oh, so okay. All right, so you had, you know, you had in-house editing skills, which is, that is a huge bonus, yeah. right? Because, I mean, we outsource our editing. We've got a brilliant Steve, he's our, he's an award-winning podcast editor. I have to just give him a little plug there. Um, but you know that's the one thing that we didn't have in house, so we were like, right, well, that's that's something that we need to get professional yeah. help with. So you know that's a huge cost saving, and like you say, it means that you can go back and do things again. So you've got that, you've got that time. Yeah, and we have a lot of toing and froing as well. So I'd say, so David had cut something, for example, and I go, David, you just cut me like the pi- the pinnacle moment of the podcast. Is that you know, for once, I was really funny in that point, and David's just like with a straight face, it wasn't very yeah. funny at all. Steve does, Steve does this to me all the time. <laughs> That's the thing, just because you just because you're the host doesn't mean you get any kind of rights, do you? <laughs> none, like none at all. My bits are always the bits that's been cut, and yeah. I have found myself the weird thing, I've been finding myself cutting myself as well. So like when we have the two in and fro enough, I'll say to David, you need to cut me at this point because I sound like an absolute imbecile. <laughs> and it feels weird being the it's almost like if you did an exam or something and you're the you're the teacher putting the red for your own kind of examination <laughs> what about equipment or anything like that I'm just thinking about other museums that might potentially be looking to make this decision and, and and do something like this did you have to invest heavily in any specialist equipment or did you have things that you that you just got did you just get by with what you had yeah I think what we what we try and do with each exhibition is is we try and Purchase bit by bit, like a piecemeal, I suppose, little bits that make us stronger in the future. So, so we've got a legacy from each project we work on. So I'm not, I'm not really technical, I'll be honest. Um, we did, I think we got new headphones and a, and a new microphone, but we had some 
other microphones. I remember though, I had the worst microphone. It wasn't a massive outlay. Um, the other thing is, I don't think, like David's really particular and, and Tim, you know, we are quite particular, but I think really you don't have to have, you know, mega quality to do it. I think that, for me personally, I think I think the, the stories and, and what you're going to tell is more important than how if there's a little bit of hiss on it, for yes. example. So, and and, it, and we did have to lower the standards a little bit because we did some interviews with people via Zoom, et cetera, for it. And so it's not all slick, I suppose, but, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a massive outlay, you know, that we that we did, and we luckily we managed to. Each exhibition we do, we try and buy a little bit yeah. of stuff. All right, two questions: What went well, and what didn't go well? I think I think we managed to replicate the themes of the physical exhibition. I suppose you know, if you hadn't seen the exhibition, I think you would have got a good flavour of what it was about. And I think actually, at times, we even went a little bit further. So in the exhibition, for example, the, you, there's a Louis FC shirt and it's got what if on it as a hashtag. And it's about the fact that they are one of the, well, I think the lead, the world's leading club on equality. So their men and women's teams get exactly the same resources, same pay. You know, there's not many clubs doing that. And you've got a label on it and you can, and we, we're really strict with our words. I think there's 50 words on the label. But we then take it one step further. So we, we then in the podcast speak to somebody from the club about what that stance means. So, you know, it's a, in a way, it, it looks like it expands on it. It adds more to it. So I think in that respect, it's been, you know, if you think about the podcast and the strip website as a, as a duo in digital terms, I'd still want people to come and see the exhibition, but, you know, you're getting a really, really good flavour of what we're about. Things that didn't work was, you can't really tell, but yeah, it's quite time-consuming, I think, recording the podcast. David's having to do a lot of editing. Tim, our digital producer, is doing the theme music to it, which obviously you don't have to do go down that route. But he was, you know, he was bringing his own synth pop uh, tunage to, to, to the proceedings. <laughs> and then even writing the script's quite time consuming as well. So, so you've got to dedicate quite a lot of time to it, really. But luckily this year, I think we've we've been able to do that with with lockdown and, and that experimentation aspect. I suppose one thing is is that if you're doing it, don't just do it. Don't see it as an add-on to what you're doing, really. Um, you, I think you need to build it in from the start. I think in the past, we've, we've never done a podcast. We've done online exhibitions that sit on our website, but they've been very much afterthoughts, whereas we did build it into our thinking when we opened the exhibition in I think it was November 2019. We, we, we knew we were going to do some of this stuff, but when, when we had the lockdown, it almost sped it, it accelerated right. it, I suppose. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so nothing major, nothing major. I remember the police sirens going up quite a lot when we were trying to record, and and then the lift would be going up and down, and it makes a racket. So you got so choose your space. As well. Yeah, that's that is really good advice actually, because our podcast has been a lot better since I've been recording it at home. So I do get the occasional yeah. dog bark, but that's better than the constant trains that go past our office. So you know, it's, yeah, things yeah, around exactly. about. Yeah. Um, this brings me to a really good question to come back to you on, Laura, actually. And it's something that you mentioned before we started speaking, which is is around, you know, what you said about not just bolting a podcast on, you know, and thinking about this strategically. So why is it helpful for museums or attractions to have podcasts? And, and what do you need to think about strategically from the start if you're going to go down this path? Yeah, I think um, I, I'd say this for everything about digital museums, that I think 
we can get a little bit excited about the word digital and just go, oh, yes, we need a thing. We need a digital thing. And if we get a digital thing, then we're going to engage lots and lots of people. And then they're all going to come to the museum and it's all going to be amazing. Um, like that. It, it, yeah. And, and I try to remember back to my master's, which was yeah, a long time ago now. So before, like we were talking about things like podcasts, but we talked a lot about digital interactives and like it was kind of like in the first session where the the lecturer was like digital interactives are great but they will break and you know you have to have a reason for doing them and there has to be an audience in mind and I think sometimes with digital we don't plan with audiences in mind it's like everything that we know about audience-centric planning goes out the window because we think digital cool amazing and I love digital stuff and I do like I do listen to podcasts like Adam Buxton's podcast is like my happy place and I do think they can be really good for museums in order to tell those stories and engage people like who might not have heard of the museum before build the brand um, engage them with stories that they wouldn't be hearing if they weren't in the museum kind of deepening engagement with audiences so I suspect that some people who listen to the strip podcast have come to the exhibition but want more information and also as I said potentially convert people into visitors to the museum but I think it's really important firstly that there's a reason to do it as you said like the podcast has it's not it it took a long time it wasn't like the quickest digital thing that you could do so you do have to have a reason for doing it Um, I also think who is the really thinking about who the audience is and is the audience right for a podcast or should it you know or should you do something like a YouTube channel or should you get a TikTok channel or I don't know, all the various different digital things that we can do. And also really plan it into strategic planning because the time it takes, the capacity, the resources, it can feel like it's free because you might not have to buy loads of equipment, but it's not free because it takes people away from doing stuff on the galleries and museum. So um, it is really important to sort of schedule it in and make sure that you have the provision for it. And although I think museums are getting better at having roles, actually, it's been really interesting. Over lockdown, I've seen so many more roles for digital content producers who just solely focus on like blogs and podcasts and, you know, digital channels. Um, So I think that's definitely going to be a trend that continues. But you do need someone to kind of be able to take ownership of these things. Um, and not just say, oh, well, you know, someone will do it at some point. So, yeah, definitely have it in the strategic plan. Have a reason for doing it. Know who your audience is. Know it kind of test that it's the right thing to do. And it's fine if you have all of those things and then you try it and it doesn't work because then look, you can evaluate why it doesn't work. But you need to know why you're doing it. And also, I'd say we're, we're actually next week, we're doing an evaluation session about the podcast, which is really important to me because again I don't I want it to be a learning experience so there'll be things that have gone really well and there'll be things that haven't as much but it'd be good to really test that and I'd also really like us to talk to people who listen to the podcast to think you know hear what they think about it and um, whether it has done what we set out to to do. That is really good advice and and actually my next question was going to be what would be your kind of best piece of advice to other museums who are thinking about doing this but I think you just summed it up absolutely beautifully there Laura John have you got anything that you would add to that um, in terms of your best piece of advice for uh, a museum that's thinking about starting a podcast yeah well I think I think I might cover some of it already but it's, you know it's things like uh, 
you know, building the time, don't see it as an add-on. Um, yeah, what's the audience? So, yeah. so the, the stripper, and we could, I knew that we already had a, an engaged crowd for that. And also, it's not even, it's not particularly niche either. So, you know, we're not going for necessarily the neat, most niche subjects in the world, football kits and what they represent and all, and particularly at the moment, like we, I think lockdown brings in, this year, if anything, has brought in a real nostalgia for yesteryear, hasn't it? So, you know, I've got here next to me, my, my, not the first, the first shirt basically I ever had worn when I was like eight years old. It, it's it's an adult one, but it's, it's the same design and it's, you know, so I knew there was an, uh, an audience for it. So, so that's so how we, we built it around an exhibition. But, if we were talking about football studs, for example, or on boot studs or something like that, I'm not sure whether that Super would be. Super niche, that, isn't it? Idea. I definitely wouldn't have. I wouldn't yeah. have listened to all six episodes yeah. of of that podcast, John. I can't believe that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, 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 do so, so. But the thing is, you need to realise that what you're presenting isn't niche. I'm not sure all museum people do that. I think they, you know, they get you get bogged down in the day to day, and and maybe you, you need that bigger picture on actually what I do is quite neat. Great advice. So yeah, so we knew we knew with this one it wasn't particularly neat. It's good really, really good advice. Um so we're coming towards the end of the podcast and every episode I ask my guests if there's a book that they would share with us. And it can be a book that's either helped you in your career or just a book that you really love. And our lucky listeners get to win this book. So Laura, what what have you chosen for us? Well I was recommending for sort of museum books because um, I did a PhD in museums, so I have obviously read some amazing and really not so amazing, <laughs> quite cool, but like some amazing museum books that have really shaped my career. But I was thinking about what book do I actually really love? And um, again, remember that I'm a geek. The book that's really stayed with me for a long time is um, Of Mice and Men, which I read when I was in year 10, doing my GCSEs a long time ago now. And I was thinking, like, I wonder how has that like affected my museum career? And I think it has, because all the books that I like, like that and The Catcher in the Rye and A Room with a View, like, I think, well, firstly, it's they're all set in the past. Well, for me, anyway, they might have been contemporary at the time, but for me, it was reading about the past. And so I think that kind of bringing history to life, a bit like I said about theme parks, I think that books can do that as well really, really well and more sometimes in a more emotive way than museums do. I think museums have the power to do it, but they don't always do it. Um, and also, like all those books are about this big and you can probably read them in a day if you put your mind to it. And again, I think that's why I really kind of like the power of storytelling, but not overusing words, just telling like a bit like with films. I just want an hour and a half. I want to watch Stand By Me in an hour and a half and be told a really good story. And the same with books, like just tell me like a really emotive, evocative story that paints this amazing picture and transports me into that world I don't need too much. And, and that's what I think museums should really aim to do as well. Think about storytelling um, and description and emotional engagement, as well as just here's an object and expect people to be engaged with it. Oh, I love that. I love that you've tied your book choice in with your, your career and, and how it's kind of focused you on what you do. It's brilliant. John, what about you? What have you got to share with us? Bringing it back to football shirts. When we when we were starting the exhibition, there was two kind of books that stood out. One of them was a book that was the worst football shirts of all time, and I was really flicking through it, and I was like, "Well, that's a banger. That's a banger. <laughs> that's a banger. These are amazing <laughs> shirts. This book is so wrong." But the thing is, with football, when you look at these like the best ever shirts or the worst ever shirts, often 
they're the same, you know, they just split opinion. Um, but the, the book really that kind of got, got the exhibition, maybe say yes, we're definitely doing this exhibition and we need to bring this, this author in, is a book called uh, True Colours by John Devlin. And he, uh, he's on various books. The, the, his latest book is all about international kits that they've worn. So he's, he does these beautiful illustrations of the, of the shirts. So he draws every single shirt wow. that, so for example, England, he, he, he will have drawn in that book every shirt that England have worn, the really nice illustrations, um, the, the passion for the subject comes across, the depth um, comes across as well. So it's an amazing, his, his books are amazing. And, and we we actually hired him as an exhibition consultant on the basis of his brilliant Wow, books. God, he never saw that coming when he was writing his books. No, no, exactly. Yeah, and he, and we've got this in the exhibition. There's this because uh, we can't feature every club in 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 the exhibition. We've got two hundred shirts, but but there is this uh, like rainbow of football shirts that he, he drew for us, and so m- most clubs are covered under that. So you know, for example, Derby under white, for example, Tottenham under white. And so, yeah, True Colours by John Devlin's My Choice. Great. And um, it's brought out one, it's the internationally amazing Great, but I love that that book has, has, has been part of this journey that you've been on with the podcast as well. It's really great to tie it all together. Well, as ever, if you want to win a copy of those books, then if you head over to our Twitter account, which is Skip the Queue, and you retweet this episode announcement with the comment, I want Laura and John's books, then you will be in with a chance of winning them. Um, I've loved having you both on today. It's been, it's such an interesting topic because, you know, I have a personal experience of, of just how difficult it is to, you know, start a podcast, edit a podcast. Well, all right, Steve does the editing, but pull a podcast together, think about who you're going to have on as guests. And, you know, it's a huge amount of work. And I think it's a brilliant task that you've, that you've gone ahead and done this. Can I just say, I don't, like, I think yours is brilliant. So oh, good. thank you. Yeah, I, I think that this detraction have a lot to learn from each other and I sometimes think museums can be quite snobby and not see themselves as like a visitor attraction whereas actually one of the best things we can do is give people a good day out we should sometimes just relax a bit and say actually a really great thing we do is give people a good day out yeah it's making memories isn't it and so six episodes of the podcast have been released what what's next do we think there's any more episodes coming we well i David was really, really brutal in his editing, so I think there could be something in a bloopers episode, like a special. He'll probably tell me no, but I was thinking like some of the bits, <laughs> sort of me being stupid generally. You've said it now in public, so yeah, that's it. It's a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get vetoed. I know it will. You know, <laughs> it just never gets their own way. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's probably it for strip for the time being, but then. We're going to look at hopefully something that talks about the other stuff we do as a museum. So um, something that isn't exhibition focused, but is about our general offer and, yeah. and the stories we want to tell and the power of football. Ultimately. I think for me, like really drilling down into who it's for, because we could just yeah. do it in so many ways and tell so many different stories. And maybe that's something that museums do grapple with a bit, that unless it's about a special exhibition, you have to really think about who it's for and what you're trying to do to otherwise you could do a 
podcasts that just never ended and you talk about a different random thing every week. Suddenly you're talking about those studs. Honestly, if anyone wants to listen to a podcast about football boot studs, email me, let me know and I'll pass this on to John. But I I think I'm going to get very few emails about this. (laughs) That's episode 527. Oh, guys, it's been so good to speak to you today. Right, everyone, if you want to listen to the podcast, it's called Strip the Podcast, and you will find it on all of your usual podcast channels. Go and download it. It's really entertaining. I've listened to five of the six episodes now, and um, look, I'm a a football fan. I love football shirts, and and it was – I really, really enjoyed it. I think you'll get a lot out of it if you're a football fan in general, so, so definitely go and download it. All that's left for me to say is thank you both for coming on. Thanks very much. Thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, I love the Skip the Q podcast. So, oh. yeah, this is re- it's really cool. Thank oh. you so much for inviting well, Thanks to you for making it. You know, it's, it's the guests that make it. So, thanks. Thanks for listening to Skip the Q. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.